again, everyone, and welcome to episode 74 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a podcast about communication skills. So today's episode comes straight from uh, an experience I had recently that reminded me of an important communication skill that I had long forgotten, uh, and that it kind of led me or jogged me to do a little bit of research on on this um, and its importance and it's not, it doesn't come as a skill that I'm particularly good at, actually. It's something that I have long struggled with. So uh, it's a relatively simple skill, but it can be difficult to master. So the title of today's episode is The Importance of Absorbing, Diffusing, and Suspending. And uh, this has lo- a lot to do with emotions and the ways in which emotions can cloud judgment or disrupt Uh, effective deliberative practices. And the responsibility of communication here is not in the the way, so we can't think of communication as a way of articulating our thoughts or expressing ourselves. And here in this episode, we're not going to think about communication as a way of acting through symbols. We're going to think of it as a way of listening or a way of responding to the communicative practices of of others. So let me begin with a quick little story that kind of jogged my memory of the importance of this of these kinds of tactics, um, and then we'll get into what they are and why they matter. So I was in a meeting recently. Um, I was not the, ch- the the person facilitating the meeting or leading the meeting. I was just a participant in the meeting, and there are about maybe 14, 15 people in this meeting, and the person chairing the meeting clearly did not anticipate a certain reaction that several people had to one of the agenda items. And so when that agenda item came up, um, there were an unexpected set of kind of worried, nervous, frustrated uh, emotions manifesting themselves in the room. People were upset about one of the agenda items, essentially. And the person leading the meeting didn't really, wasn't really aware that people were upset about this. And then all of a sudden, what happened in the meeting is that kind of level of frustration or that those emotions manifested themselves in the content of the conversation. So people started expressing those frustrations in ways that almost kind of bordered on, I mean, I work in Canada, so this is a very Canadian kind of thing, but they kind of gestured in the direction of anger. Um, Although, you know, for a New Yorker or somebody that's listening from a more adversarial culture, it would not have seen like an expression of anger to others. But in a Canadian context, there were, it was a kind of some angry expressions of frustration with the contents of that particular uh, agenda item. So what had to happen? Um, so what would what happens frequently in that case is, of course, the person leading the meeting will immediately react to the frustration and attempt to to defend himself or herself against the anger that's coming at them. So that person will tend to feel or experience that anger in very personalized ways and try to defend whatever it is that they were suggesting in, in that agenda item. And this happens all the time. I've seen it happen a million times 
person A says they want to talk about, you know, this thing, then person B and C are frustrated or upset. They don't want to talk about it. They express their anger. And then person A defends himself or herself, and that ratchets up the tension in the room. Now, one of the most central and important leadership communication practices is identifying when that kind of thing is going on and then simply absorbing and diffusing the emotions that are present in the discussion. So, and you and in order to absorb and diffuse those emotions that are present in the discussion, you cannot react personally to the emotions that are being expressed by others. So you have to remain very calm and very centered and create space in which those emotions can be openly expressed and articulated. You will need to create a space where they can be felt essentially in public in a way that others can see them and feel them. Um, but if you choose to react to those emotions, if you're the reactive agent, then you will amplify those feelings of uh, frustration or anger. So, you know, again, what, what I'm always talking about in this podcast is that communication is about the effects that you produce on others. So when someone emotes or expresses a feeling of anger or frustration in a professionalized setting and the reaction from the person that the anger or frustration is directed at is to defend himself or herself and in that defense manifest frustration or anger in his or her own way, then what happens is the effect is the amplification of those emotions. And of course, if you're amplifying those emotions, you're standing in the way of or inhibiting the progress, the deliberative progress of the decision around that issue. So the emotions become a kind of anchor or a kind of um, obstacle in the way of good collective deliberation. So a really effective communicator, a really effective uh, leader in that situation acknowledges or sees or uh, you know, kind of bears witness to the manifestation of those frustrations and that anger and those negative emotions and then does the communicative labor of absorbing and diffusing them, not amplifying them. So you create the space in which you've allowed people to express those emotions and those frustrations, to feel them publicly, and you haven't reacted in a way that would amplify that frustration. You've listened, uh, responded to, um, absorbed, understood, and allowed the space for the expression of those things uh, without yourself manifesting those reactive kind of emotional um, emotional uh, expressions. And in so doing, while, when you've absorbed and diffused those feelings, you create a space whereby people can actually move into a more rational and deliberative decision-making position. Now, sometimes the process of absorbing and diffusing takes a while. Uh, like So in the meeting that I'm referring to, it wasn't possible for people to ex publicly express and feel what they needed to feel uh, and then have that be absorbed and diffused and then just move on to a deliberative conversation about that particular topic. Uh, we needed to allow the airing the, of those feelings and somebody in the room needed to absorb and diffuse them so that when we have another meeting in four or five weeks, we can come back to that agenda item and 
it could be dealt with with uh, in the absence of those feelings, essentially in a more rational and deliberative manner. Um, sometimes it'll be the case that in a moment you can just absorb and diffuse those emotions and then pivot to a deliberation around them, uh, around the issue that, that caused or excited or, um, or kind of led to those emotions. But, you know, it doesn't, the, the timing, you have to realize that the timing is not up to you. And the timing is often dependent on the strength of the, the, the kind of ferocity of the emotions that are being expressed. And of course, also the ferocity or the intensity of the emotions being expressed create greater challenges for the person trying to absorb and diffuse those emotions, trying to create the space for them, understand them, accept them, and allow them to sort of to, to be. It, it's harder to do that uh, when the emotions are more intense. Um, okay, so this gets even more elaborate when we consider the practice of actually kind of, it, it's it, and this is a related practice of suspending our own emotions. Um, so one of the great kind of temptations that people face in any kind of communicative interaction is to try to fix or correct what they imagine to be a wrong thing or a problem either in the situation in themselves or in others. So go back to the meeting for a second. Someone expresses frustration or anger at a particular agenda item. So you can react to that, defend yourself. That's one option. The other option is you can try to fix the problem that's been articulated, the problem that's at the core of the expression of that emotion. Um, so that's especially common when it comes to, to people who matter to you that will also drive you crazy. So if the person, you think to yourself, if this person would only act differently, everything would be much better and my life would be much better. Uh, so you kind of jump in with advice on how other people could improve the themselves so that you don't have this this problem um, and people think of change in these kinds of mechanistic terms so like a machine is broken somebody needs to fix it the question is what can i do to fix this thing and that kind of thinking uh, though is problematic in communication situations so if someone arrives in a communication situation with an attitude that says oh hello i'm here to change your opinion and to change you and to change your response to this particular agenda item, that's not going to go over well. So that will also likely amplify or intensify the level of frustration or anger that the person feels. Suspension involves asking a different kind of question. Uh, it it kind of asks you to, to take on a, a set of questions that are neutral or objective. Um, so you're trying to take a, a step back and um, allow space for something to exist without the need to fix it. And by simply asking questions about how it works in a neutral way. So, um, you know, in this case, uh, where, what are the origins of this frustration or this anger? Where did we go wrong? Uh, why can't we talk about this particular agenda item right now? So you're trying to suspend the attempt to advance the agenda item in a kind of rational way and hold it off so that people can um, articulate their views with all of the emotions that they need to articulate them. 
Um, and then in that kind of space, something transformative can really happen. So in groups, uh, there's this thing called collective suspension in group work. So I talk about this some when I teach small group communication. Um, collective suspension means raising to the surface issues that are impacting everyone in a way that asks them all to reflect on those issues. Um, it has to do with interrupting the communication circuit so that the emotions are not causing reactivity uh, that will be disruptive to the group. Um, so you have to you have to kind of look for a way in which those emotions can be released um, and you suspend work on them in order to allow them to just be. So like most groups have a number of critical issues that limit their effectiveness. And there are issues that they're unable for whatever reason to see clearly. And a lot of the time, the ecology of the group is such that it's impossible for a lot of group members to reflect in the course of the group work on, on what's going on. Things happen too fast. And so this is why this kind of communication practice is really important. Like, uh, okay, communicative acts affect, you know, reaction. You know, I act, I get a reaction. It happens so quickly. Uh, and so suspension is an attempt to slow down the communicative process of action and reaction in order to create the space in which feelings can be felt um, and objectively things can be seen as what they are. Um, unfortunately, the pressure to produce results is really great. So even in this meeting, the person running the meeting wants to get through the agenda. They, they feel this pressure to kind of complete uh, our decision-making around five or six or seven items, however many were on the agenda. And if someone all of a sudden interrupts that and expresses their frustration, uh, then they're going to feel added pressure to produce a result. And so they'll want to fix uh, that the, the frustration that person is feeling. Um, so the practice of suspension involves interrupting, especially in a group, that habitual pattern. And in group work, that's, that can be extraordinarily powerful uh, when you interrupt the action-reaction circuits. Um, and collective suspension in a group work is really the practice of shifting the ecology of a group so that it can begin to see it has alternatives and it can be begin to shift its understanding of what's going on and, and how the group is working um, and how it might proceed together collectively in a different way. Uh, so collective suspension is something that's that, that often uh, is assisted by a good facilitator. So someone that's really, really talented at facilitation can, um, can detect when the action-reaction circuit is kind of um, full of these fast emotional responses and is kind of manifesting this sense of emotions in the group uh, that are disrupting the ability of the group to make good decisions. And then that person can suspend that circuit for a moment. And then in the process of suspending it, they can absorb and diffuse some of that emotion. And then once the emotion is absorbed and diffused, get back on track to for the decision-making or the deliberative process of considering what's going on. Um, so what I'm trying to, to say here, um, as clearly as I can say it, and maybe I'm not saying it cl uh, clearly enough, but... Um, what, what happens is that that suspension can transform the relationship between the parties in the communicative interaction. 
just as the ability to absorb and diffuse emotions can transform the relationship between the people feeling those emotions at other other people. Um, so we have this kind of, I like to think that good communicators or masters of communication have this responsibility to detect the ways in which strong kind of emotional reactions and responses are, um, are kind of controlling or deeply influencing communicative interactions and then would know how and know what to do in order to absorb some of those emotions, diffuse them, and then kind of suspend processes of decision-making so that the emotions can be expressed, seen, heard, understood, objectively accounted for. Um, and if you create a space like that in which that kind of thing happens, it will ultimately transform the relationship between the people in those spaces. So you hear the idea that you know conflict actually is good for relationships. Well, that's sort of true and sort of false. Like if you're if it's destructive conflict, if it's just two people that resent each other that are screaming and yelling and insulting each other and just reacting. So you know one person has an emotion, the other person reacts to that emotion, and they amplify one of those emotions. The conflict just magnifies, and it's not constructive at all. But if a conflict allows space for the absorption, diffusion, and suspension of emotions, and so it allows the process to be seen in kind of an objective way and allows those emotions to be understood and heard and articulated and thought through and responded to in objective ways, then that conflict can be genuinely transformative for a group or for two people because it reimagines or, or kind of reworks the relationship between those people. Um, it's in some ways the kind of foundation of respect uh, and uh, the foundation of good communicative responsiveness so like bad communication responsiveness is re that reactivity that someone gets frustrated, expresses their frustration, you get frustrated in return at their frustration, defend yourself, or you just try and fix their frustration to make sure it goes away and do something to solve the problem in the moment and move on with the agenda. Uh, positive, uh, the, the positive form of that is not reacting to the emotionality or the, the, the kind of intensity of the interaction but it's responding in a way that will absorb, diffuse, uh, absorb and diffuse those emotions and suspend a process for enough time so that those emotions can be seen objectively and understood uh, and incorporated into the kind of consciousness or understanding of the group or of the dynamic between those two people. Um, so I feel like this might be a little bit of an esoteric. Uh, I, I don't feel like I'm being particularly practical in this uh, episode, but if you notice it, there are, if, if you kind of walk around the world some, you'll notice people that are willing and able to absorb and diffuse the emotions of others and, and good at it. And those people are good at relationship maintenance. Uh, they're good at building and maintaining positive working relationships with, with others because they recognize they can't live in a world without when those emotions are not present. And they also recognize that their reactivity to them is not particularly helpful. Um, so that kind of sense of absorbing and diffusing and suspending uh, helps uh, as a set of practices for building a relationship without trying to fix or uh, fix someone else's problems or without reacting too strongly to those emotions those people are having. Uh, so for people in leadership positions, like I have to remind myself of this all the time, other people don't work on my time scale. They work on their own timescales, and those timescales are often influenced by the feelings that they have about the work that they're doing. 
And so part of my responsibility as a leader, as someone that leads conversations or that leads group work or that leads meetings is to know when I have to absorb and diffuse emotions and suspend a process so that we can all hear and understand those emotions, observe them objective, as objectively as we can, let them be, give them the space to breathe and to be expressed and to be publicly displayed, uh, not react to them, not try to fix them, just allow them to be. Um, and, and that is the extent of my responsibility in, in some situations. I have to run a workshop tomorrow and I was planning that workshop with, with my colleague. We run it together um, and my colleague wanted a kind of a definitive agenda for the workshop and my instinct was to create enough space to allow people to have emotions about whatever they needed to have emotions about so it's a pedagogy workshop everybody gets frustrated with teaching i wanted to create a space in which people can express those frustrations with some of what they're teaching this term and just allow them to be in the room um, and just absorb them in the hopes that that might transform or influence their teaching later on and the relationship between the people in the room who are talking about pedagogy in that particular case. So I understand that as my kind of communicative responsibility as a person facilitating that particular workshop. Um, okay, so I think that, that masters of communication know when to diffuse, absorb, and suspend. And they can do that strategically in ways that improve relationality instead of destroying or harming relationality by um, reacting or trying to fix emotions when they're when they're present. So that's it for episode 74. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll be back shortly with another new episode.